Fallen! You gotta stop looking back. When you get looking back, is a stiff neck. Listen, there's only one flavor to a margarita, and it ain't strawberry. You know, find social groups, hang out with like-minded people. We're gonna talk about whatever the fuck we wanna talk about. How's that? Have you ever had a corned beef taco with mustard? All right, all right. Everybody take a knee, drink some water. I know you all want to get the fuck out of here, so let's get this show started. Well, good morning, Abe. Good morning, Mario. Abraham, this is uh, the earliest we've ever met to do this. it's Brahim, as they say in some parts of the world. Brahim, okay. Well, then uh, that's your new uh, nickname from now on, I guess. Ayatollah, Ayatollah, scourge of the Middle East, as they say. Look it up, man, it's true. You had your breakfast yet? Yeah, I had some uh, Black Rifle coffee. That's I'm just good. kidding, I'm not going into the whole corporate. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man, just a couple of eggs and some coffee this morning. It's going to be a long day, so uh, we need our energy. Yeah, my daughter made me eggs this morning, too, so that was... Uh, I see that giant thermos over there. Kind of cool. This is just is water. Is that No, no, I, I wish it was, but it's just water. Got to stay hydrated, too, so... Hydrated diet. Oh, I got you. I don't want to pour it over my like computer. Vodka, though? Oh, there it goes. <sighs> this is an audio show. People love to hear you slurp. I just got to say that. So, anyways, but uh, we do have a special guest here with us today. Um, so, you um, let me introduce him. Please do. I'd like to know who he is. His name is Roger Pollard. Uh, he is a uh, Vietnam uh, veteran, not a Vietnamese veteran, but uh, a Vietnam era veteran. <laughs> and uh, I'll let him uh, get into, uh, um, uh, you know, tell us about himself. So, re welcome, Roger. Well, thank you, Abe. Thank you, Mario. Very happy to be here. Uh, first time I've ever done this before, so uh, we'll see if I pass or fail. Hey, we're we're in the same boat. <laughs> we're we're pretty new at this too, so we're all okay. Yeah, we've only tried it eleven times. Yeah, we're still trying to get it right. We're so still... hopefully twelve would be the charm, right? Yeah. Well, army guys, you know, it takes full time. Though. Yeah, I, I, I'm true. also an army guy. So, so yeah. So yeah. why don't we uh, start off with that army veteran? Uh, uh, yeah, Army veteran. That's correct. Very proud to serve, and uh, I'm a, I'm, it's Vietnam, so we're talking a long time ago. Anybody who's uh, younger than fifty, uh, you were born before this happened. <laughs> so, uh, but I actually, what happened to me? Uh, just a little bit here. Uh, I was actually at Ohio State University, and uh, I was drafted in uh, in uh, 1967. But what happened was. I went in front of the draft board. This is when you had a draft board. And Darlene Brock, uh, I met her. I was 19. Uh, I stood in front of her and the rest of the uh, selective service people. And I had to plead my case as to why I thought I needed more time to be able to be in college and not right. go into the Army. So uh, I, I did plead my case. And uh, they said, okay, you have one more year. Well, there was a problem with that. I mean, I, I didn't go in until a year later, but yeah. what happened there was I was trying to work a couple jobs and go to Ohio State University at the same time, and it was too much, so I fell behind. In those days, uh, I graduated from high school in 1965. You had to graduate from college if you were going to college in four years by 1969. Or else you did not show progress <laughs> like that. They, you, you were drafted and had to go down and plead your case if you could. So that's what I did, but it actually happened is that I fell behind. I could not graduate in 1969 because I'm trying to work at a school, rather difficult schedule. I'm and on 20 years of working my associates, by the way, so. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, so that wasn't a work back then, yeah. yeah. So uh, April 12th of 1968, Roger Pollard went into the Army, and uh, this was, uh, 
eight days after Martin Luther King was assassinated. So if any of you remember, or I'll remind, if you don't, I'll tell you that uh, the country was in a mess. Uh, there, were, there was racial strife, there was anti-war demonstrations, uh, it was a mess. And that spring of 68, uh, there were a lot of things happening to our country. There are a lot of things happening now, but in our history, there have been a lot of things happening to our country. We came out okay. So I, I, I want to go back a little bit to that because you mentioned, so yeah, there is a lot of stuff going on right now. Uh, people act as if it's the first time that this has happened and that it's been brought up and that things are, are, are worse than ever, right? A lot of uh, younger people, especially, think that it's the end of the world, that, you know, that our president is, is, is the worst person ever and, uh, you know, that the, the, the country's going to shit. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know what else to, 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 to say, but compared to those times, you've obviously seen that, been there. How does it compare to those times? And have we been there before? Well, yeah, you know, we have, and it's, it's different. It's, it's, it's a different uh, situation than we have today, but in some cases it's the same. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there were marches of 500,000 people against the war. Uh, their draft was a big issue because... Uh, uh, this was before a lottery. There was no lottery till December of 69. So at this case, uh, you had maybe a 2S student deferment, or if you were classified then as 1A, that means you were uh, ripe and ready to be drafted. Uh, and I got a letter uh, April Fool's Day, believe it or not, no April Fool's Day. <laughs> it was no fool joke. Yeah. It was a, but, uh, but at any rate, uh, after another thing is you were watching the war on, of, on Vietnam, uh, of Vietnam, by 68, uh, it, every uh, newscast you saw, usually people watched the news at 5.30, there was three stations, CBS, NBC, right. and ABC. And uh, Walter Cronkite was the most trusted man in America, they said. You, could, you would watch that <laughs> and you would see, sometimes there would be 15 minutes worth of footage of uh, American soldiers in Vietnam. They were The reports were embedded with the soldiers. And uh, unlike... Uh, what you may see today, this was really raw stuff. Yeah. So the country, especially after Tet. So Tet, they saw some bad things. They saw some bad things. Tet, and probably only the worst things. They probably didn't show much of the, the good stuff going on. Well, the after reporter, uh, probably, I mean, you know, there were scenes that, uh, war, war is, as we all know, things happen in war. Right. Uh, in every war. And uh, not everybody acts valiantly. But at the same time, war is a messy business. Right. Uh, when reporters tagged along, the, what you saw on TV tended tended to be uh, maybe the more uh, the the the, the, uh, the worst sides of war, so to speak. Right. There were good sides, but you didn't see an American soldier necessarily uh, taking out uh, things and helping a, a, a Vietnam a Vietnamese person, or or maybe helping. Uh, to rebuild schools or help, you didn't see that kind of stuff. Because that's not as sexy on TV. No, it's not. It's not as, and it's not as, it's not a money maker. That's right. You know, that's correct. So, and in a way, that kind of still happens today. I don't think at the same level. I think there's more rules on that kind of stuff. I think the military has a more control and is probably more cautious now because of that. Right. That time. I think what happened with Vietnam, and you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was one of the first times we really televised things uh, either live or pretty close to the event actually happening. It was the first TV war. I mean, Korea, there was what you saw uh, uh, war footage from right. Korea 
was not the kind of footage that you saw. It's more historical, you know. uh, more edited, if you will, right? Exactly it took a while right. for yeah. it to come out, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, yeah. So it was a, uh, it was tough for the American public. By the time I went in, yeah, uh, I'd, I'd seen a lot of the war on TV. Well, tell me how many guys were not nervous about going in when you saw what you saw. Right. And by the way, at the end of the telecast, usually on, on uh, CBS, Walter Cronkite, they would give you a ball score. How many uh, Vietnamese? Uh, how many bad guys body had killed? Pardon me. Wow. Your body count. A body count. How many bad guys? Guys like we that. we had killed. How many U.S. KIA's there were? Yeah. And what's interesting about this is that uh, although we had fewer losses than the uh, than the enemy, uh, we killed so many of the enemy. Some we used to kid around about. It. I think we killed that guy twice. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, by the time you add up all the numbers, uh, sure. there would be no enemy left. Yeah. Uh, right. So, and it was. It was depressing. The, the nation saw this week after week right. of what had happened to U.S. soldiers. So it was yeah. tough for the public. Yeah. You know, and nowadays, the media coverage of it, as you say, has kind of been tamed a little bit more by the military embracing the, the embedding the reporters and you know, public affairs units and things like that, editing footage and making sure that they're controlling the narrative. But I think where the one wild card is in the coverage of the war now is the soldiers and their their little phones, their iPhones, their MP3 players, recorders, whatever device they're using, you're starting to see a lot of what would, I guess, back in the day been called pirate footage up. Mm -hmm. And with the way that things are being put out on the internet and different websites, you know, now it's almost become a point where people are trying to get likes, they're trying to get traffic and generate that through kind of shock value. So now the recent trend has been, especially with the campaigns in Africa, you're seeing a lot of like actual footage of American soldiers being attacked and ambushed and unfortunately some of them perishing. Um, you know, and as, as a serviceman and, and fighting back in Vietnam, you know, my father was a Vietnam vet, so thank you for that. But, uh, you know, the, when God you were in the service, you guys didn't have access to that. You guys were still doing letters and writing. So um, what are your thoughts on, like, just the, the all the media that's available to the average infantryman or the average service member nowadays? Well, I, I, let me answer that by backing up just a second. In terms of uh, the way that you we communicated in Vietnam with our family and folks and girlfriends, um, Notice he said girlfriends, plural. Yeah, I, I, I went over single. I, yeah, I came back a, single. You always got to have yeah. a contingency plan, right? That's exactly right. Well, I, I we'll, we can get into this just a little bit later, but I was on a four-man advisory team. So we had myself, a major, and two uh, E7s. And uh, so we were out there. There were no roads. Uh, it was canals. We had a team house. The purpose, uh, our purpose was to, uh, well, I was a, intelligence officer, counterintelligence officer. So we were trying to find the Vietnam infrastructure, the BCI, right. and identify them. And so at any rate, so we're, we're out there. And we, uh, we had supplies come in every four days with, a chopper came in every four days with food and mail. Actually, at that time, mail was more important than food, quite frankly. I mean, you really, if you yeah. didn't get mail that day, you're not going to get another chopper in there for another four days. For another, yeah. But in terms of communication, what a lot of guys did in Vietnam was they, they bought a tape recorder. This is a, a little uh, tape, uh, a track tape, is it what they call it? Mm -hmm. Just a little tape recorder. Yeah, and yeah. Then, and I, I mailed one to my family. So it wasn't like, I a, bought one. A, like a cassette? Like or a was cassette, I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah. And, and then I would tape. Uh, it's so funny that we're all like, you know those things that we... Yeah. <laughs> I know, because, you know... And, nowadays, yeah. Right, yeah nobody knows what... Yeah. 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 But it was really interesting, because yeah. then you actually heard your voice. I mean, they heard your voice. Yeah. yeah. Now, here's the thing about that, and also with letters. If you wrote a letter, it takes 10 to 
14 days to get over there. Yeah. Back to the States. It takes 10 to 14 days to get it back to you. So if you ask a question, you're not going to get an answer to that question for 20 days. Yeah, at so least. Yeah, the at communication. Least. If everything goes right. That's right. And I made one phone call. I was in Saigon one time. I made one phone call. Otherwise, and that phone call was uh, delayed. So you say hello, then you wait eight seconds or whatever. Then they say hello. Then if you cross each other in terms of uh, uh, talking, it cancels everybody out. So it's hard to talk when you have this big delay. So yeah. communication was a real bummer when it came to Vietnam. And, and almost every guy that you talk to, a, a person, will yeah. say uh, it was difficult as opposed to today because now you can actually, you, you know, you can uh, Facebook. Uh, yeah, you, you can. You can yeah, use you social email, media. Internet, you can even do internet calls with Skype and things like that. Yeah. They even have phones now, too, that you yeah. can, you know, it's expensive, but, you know. Yeah, but you always know, though, when something bad happened because all of a sudden none of it would work. Right, yeah. right, right. If there was a, an incident or yeah, a buildup for a, a big operation or whatever, you everything go would the, stop. Yeah, you try to get online and email your wife or something. All of a sudden, there's no service. Yeah, I think I th I, that that's unfortunate. But I, that whole thing of being Skype, seeing your mm -hmm. loved one's face—Are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I saw my daughter yeah. born. Uh, in Iraq. Oh, wow. Yeah, I saw. Oh, you didn't know that? No, I didn't know that. But who so, filmed that? So check this out. Was so, it a trusted friend? No, it was, was the, the, the hospital. So we were the first uh, people to do that at the Scottsdale Osborne. Osborne. It was Osborne. Okay. And so what what happened was they had a program over there at, uh, in Joint Base Ballad where I was. Uh, where you would go to the Red Cross and they would connect you uh, through all the technology. What? Behind you in that class, they're taking oh, care of babies. That's funny. They must have heard you. Yeah, by the way, we're in a new location today, and so next to us, the room next to us, they're doing like a first uh, first aid class or something. For babies. So, and they're doing something for babies right now. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I Anyways. Uh, Sorry, back man, to back crazy. to my baby, yeah. yeah get back to yours. Uh, so they had that program where you could go there uh, for anyone overseas, and if their you know uh, wives were you know giving birth uh, or girlfriends, right? Because uh, you don't have to be married to, to give birth these days, I guess. Um, th that you would get to watch them through um, uh, Skype, Skype or mm -hmm. whatever. They had a bunch of different uh, programs, and then they would get in touch with the hospital. So what happened was we had somebody that linked them together. And so the hospital, for the first time, did this. They had never done this with somebody overseas. And so they got their media people together. They figured out a way to do it. They put a camera like like next to my wife. So it wasn't like actually filming the actual birth. So it wasn't right, down it was in the, the breach. Side. That's what I was No, it wasn't. About. It was no. like, wow, they it, filmed it right in the no, breach. No, no, it wasn't in the breach area. That's why I was no. asking <laughs> if it was like your close personal friend or something. No, no. I mean, it, and the, all the people in there were all the nurses and the doctor and everything else. But it was like a side view, right? And that right? was Gabby? And that was Gabby, yeah. Oh, and uh, the news actually was there too. So obviously they didn't film that. Yeah, there's actually there's a news article and everything. I'll show you. And so, but you talking about that. So now that's, that's kind of the luxury that we have Yeah. so yeah. that I was actually even able to watch my daughter being born where that probably wasn't available back then. Well, I'm no. pretty sure you couldn't do that. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Communication was, was a key. So we but are spoiled a little. <laughs> it, it is interesting too. I think uh, when you think about what well, a lot of guys were either sending these tapes or writing letters. So my parents kept some of my letters, yeah, and uh, and then I eventually got a few of them. And the one thing I noticed about the letters was, I never said what was happening to me, because I was trying to escape from right. what was happening right, right. to me. So I wrote letters. Now, by the way, when I was at this uh, team house, I said we had just canals. We had a boat. We had no 
no roads. We had no vehicle. I hadn't been, I wasn't in a vehicle for weeks at a time. So I knew my parents at that time, my friends, my family, were riding in a, on a freeway in a car going 70 miles an hour. Yeah. Now, when you haven't been in any, even a Jeep, that, you know, an Army Jeep, that usually going 70 miles an yeah. hour, so you're there. Uh, but at any rate, so <laughs> I, hadn't even, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't even been in a vehicle. So I'm riding them, and I'm saying to them, I'm concerned that I'll be all the way over here, as we used to say on the other side of the world, and you guys are riding on a freeway going 70 miles an hour. Now, that may not sound, but believe me, if you're, if you're on the other side of the world and you want to get a letter maybe every couple of weeks, right. and you think about your family, how long it takes to get back to them, how long will it take you to get notice of something that occurred, yeah. uh, it makes you, so I would usually talk about them and are you safe and tell me how you are doing. Right. Then at the end, I, I, you know, my, I hardly said anything about what was happening to me. But I think that was important because that gave me time to escape. Yeah, from that allowed me to get away from the world I was in to the world I wanted to be in. Right, and uh, and that also sounds like something an intel officer would do, <laughs> yeah. or a counterintelligence. Yeah, don't tell them anything about you. How, how <laughs> of else, where you are? Yeah, how are That's you it. doing? Tell me about you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, you uh, let's let's talk about that a little bit. What what was your role in the military? And um, well, I, I as uh, much as you're allowed to talk about. Yeah, 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 well, yeah, okay, yeah, let's go ahead, I could be arrested at 70 years old here. Um, you don't look 70, by the way, if you guys, uh, we'll, we'll post a couple yeah, photos, no. but good looking, very fit. So, I don't look, so I don't look, and I, I, look, I don't look 70, I actually look 75, is what you're saying. No, he looks, he looks better than I do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, thank you, but well, he said he's going to take us out back and PT us after I was, uh, well, he's a We are going to do some push-ups when we get Yeah, he's oh, a, we'll, I was just kidding. We'll get, we'll get into that after, that after but, yeah. Yeah. Um, I yeah. was at your 70th birthday party. Yes, you were, and, that's right. Uh, you had... Uh, uh, friends of yours uh, that were calling you kid. Yeah. I'm not kidding you. There were World War II veterans there. Dude, I was amongst Dude, men. You know, I was amongst the heroes. The, I'm uh, not even kidding you. World War II, Korean War veterans, Vietnam They were calling these kids. Yeah, no. When, I was, when I was a child, my dad took me to VFW. I was maybe 10 years old, and they put me on the bar stool, and I got a Shirley Temple, you know, and I had yeah. like a little coloring book or whatever. Um, actually, no, I had a little Tiger handheld video game, the very first one. Oh, you know, yeah. A little crappy game. A little right? football one or whatever. And that was the first time I'd ever seen anybody put my dad in his place, and it was a World War II vet. And, oh, yeah, uh, of course. My dad and one of his friends were having a couple of pops, and they were talking, and they got in a little bit of an argument, like, not necessarily like an angry argument, but there was some colorful language thrown around, and this World War II vet looks at my dad, and he goes, you're in the goddamn VFW. Show some fucking class, would you? And then my dad looked at him, and he was like, Sorry, sir. And I was like, what just happened? Yeah. You know, my dad's the scariest dude on the planet, and this old dude just checked his just shit checked out him. of him, right? That's funny. I, I, you know, if I could interrupt just for a second, yeah. Mark, you mentioned that birthday. That was yeah. very nice. Betsy, Betsy, uh, my wife, Betsy, she's the one who planned that. But I want to pay tribute to uh, one of the World War II vets that was there. His name is Ed Rosser. And uh, Ed was a Navy guy, and he was in Okinawa. He was on board a ship. I'm an Army guy, so I can't describe to you what the Navy ship was even. Yeah. I used to call them boats, so I can't say. <laughs> but anyway, what happened was uh, his ship was hit by a kamikaze. And within eight minutes, the ship sunk. So these guys are all in the water. Yeah. And uh, uh, as it was, 15 died and 60 survived when a, a later on a ship picked them up. But Ed Rosser, I got to know these World War II vets. That's why I asked them to come to this birthday yeah. party because they are just fascinating people. Just and what the they, they did for our country at that time, they they tell you in such a casual way 
when you you know you would be running around with your hair on fire if you were really there that day. But when they went through all of this, but Ed Rosser did pass away a couple of weeks ago. Oh, did he? Yes, oh. he did. And uh, his daughter Linda Rosser um, uh, was she's a wonderful person. She was married to her husband, who was a Vietnam vet, who died from an Asian Orange related illness. So I just want to pay tribute to Ed Rosser and all those World War II guys because they are such an inspiration. I know that you troops today are inspired by those guys yeah. as a Vietnam vet. And, My yeah, parents and were, you guys. Yeah. yeah. I, well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I also, if I can get off on tangent here, the camaraderie between all vets, World War II, me, you guys, I, it's, we are all cut from the same fabric. We had different wars and different uh, feelings and different uh, circumstances around those. But the fact is that there is one theme that runs through that that entire group of people, and that is patriotism. Yeah. And uh, I, so uh, I, I, that will remain constant. That will be, we can always know. I agree, yes. That, yes, that down the, the road, when, when we see kids who were 10 years old now serve. Yeah, the technology might change. Uh, right. It might get easier for us that we might have uh, better equipment, things like that, because I know that's one of the things that a lot of the old school guys hate about us. They're like, you guys, <laughs> if you if you knew what we had to go through and, and the equipment we had, uh, but you're right, I think the spirit will always be the same. Yeah. It, it takes that type of person, uh, no matter what kind of equipment you get, because uh, honestly, the better the equipment gets, the better the uh, enemy's equipment gets too. Right. And so, you know, now you're going to be able to be killed from thousands of miles away yeah so you know in a way those things uh might change and but the, i think the person behind the uniform does it so no I, we all put our hand up but we we, we uh said that we would protect and defend and and, and send me where you need me so right. i mean I, I think that's one uh, if you want camaraderie that's it yeah that's you it. know and as far as the vietnam era goes you know a lot of guys especially me you know having a father who was a vietnam vet you know, we really appreciate your guys' experience because of what you guys went through, you know, not having a choice in many cases, and then the poor treatment you received when you came home. You know, your sacrifices led made things easier for us. So a lot of the programs that we have, the general feeling from the American public when we come home, we get treated very well. And Good. if you guys hadn't gone through what you went through, that wouldn't be the case. You know, so a lot of us really realize that. And I will tell you one thing. You know, when I went to Iraq, I was very surprised uh, with the palm groves. I was right by the Tigris and Euphrates for a little bit of time. And there's all these palm groves and swamps and marshes and stuff. And there was riverboats going up and down, you know. And I took a lot of pictures of that and sent them to my dad. And uh, I told him, play some Rolling Stones or some CCR and look at these photos. I go, I'm in the desert now, you know. Yeah. When I came home and showed him some more of that, you know, we, we kind of laughed a little bit yeah. because yeah. I was like, I signed up for Iraq and it sent me to Nam, Pop. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah, it's, I have seen some, I, I agree with you. I've seen some pictures that they do remind me. I was in, in the mm -hmm. Delta region. Right. And uh, so, uh, and that's where most of the Vietnamese population lived. In fact, that's, you know, the rice, most, a lot of the countries, right? The nation's rice was uh -huh. was uh, uh, raised there, oh, okay. so or grown there, I should say. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the rice fields, as you, yeah, you know, uh, hear about all I, the time. I will tell you this much: there was many a time, from the lower enlisted all the way to like the platoon sergeant, first sergeant, even company commanders, that we'd be in the motor pool prepping for a patrol or something, and all you'd hear is Vietnam era music. 
Yeah. <laughs> it was like, you know, we That's all kind funny. of, we've seen those movies, we've talked to the to your generation of soldiers, and that's where it really kind of hit me home was that whole sense of brotherhood and that we're all soldiers no matter what era yeah my first pair of boots that i bought in the army after i got my issued uh, from basic was i bought some og green jungle boots yeah. and i told my dad i got i got a, I got a nice yeah. set of jungle boots yeah because you know, i yeah. wanted to kind of walk in those footsteps and yeah. and kind of show a, a throw a shout out or a tribute to your guys' generation you know because between your war and our war there was yeah there were some conflicts but nothing anywhere on this level so. yeah there's a movie i forget which one uh, where they're uh they're in iraq and the guy starts yelling out he's like why don't we have our own music he's like e everything we hear is all the yeah. vietnam era music because everybody wants good it's, war cool. music. it's good war music it, it, it is it's the only thing we have to really look back on on what we think a war should be and so that's war music to us so it's still played in the helicopters or in the yeah. humvees or wherever and this guy i forget which movie it was but he's like he's like when are we going to get our own music like we don't have our own <laughs> yeah. war music well it is interesting <laughs> one of the most popular songs during vietnam was we got to get out of this place yes yeah. which we yeah right and then something else about that music that you if you reminded me of is even now, if you see commercials, just any, it could be a car commercial, probably not toilet paper, I don't know, cars, yeah. whatever, you know. Toilet paper would be and, interesting, though. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We gotta get out yeah. of this place. But a lot of those commercials use music that is 70 types of music to sell their product today in 2018. Right. So Betsy and I, Betsy and I were uh, married and we've been married for a long time. We put, uh, Betsy, you're not that old if you're hearing this. I'm sorry. I, I'm the old guy. At any rate, but, but we, we talk about, we say, hey, remember that song? We say, yeah, uh, 1974, we've been married for two years or a year, I guess. And, uh, you know, and, and that's a long time ago. So I think it's interesting. There is still good music to be made. Yeah. But some of those things, some of those old songs, boy, they hit, especially with military. Yeah. It, oh, yeah. It's uh, just, it's like, oh, yeah, uh, you can get in the mood. Yeah, if it you does. have to. It does. Yeah. Well, what you're about to do with that music on? Some Jimi Hendrix. Every time I hear CCR, I automatically picture yeah. like uh, uh, you know a Huey flying over the treetops, yep. and I think with my dad was in one, and then like first time I flew in a Blackhawk in Georgia just for training, we went up over the tree line, and I was like, all I could hear in my head was CCR. I was like, hell yeah. Yeah, right. What is what my dad felt like, you know? And, and speaking of, of choppers, so that Huey. Uh, we, one thing that most Vietnam vets would say, and I would say also, I, I told you I had no way besides a chopper to get in or out, uh, is the sound of that, that, that Huey puts out a sound that's entirely different than any other yep. chopper. Yeah. And uh, we, I was at the uh, uh, Phoenix Veterans Day Parade a couple years ago, and they had a Huey that before the parade was just flying the parade route, fairly, yeah. fairly low. Yeah. And I'll tell you, uh, I was with a bunch of, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a Vietnam Veterans of America guy. I'm, just a, okay. we're, I'm in that organization. And uh, so we were marching that parade. But you, you could hear it but not see it. But all these vets, you kind of went out in the middle of the street. There's no parade going on yet. And they're, they, they, they're going back. You can hear that chopper takes you right back to Vietnam. And it's really interesting because it's such a distinctive uh, sound. The Vietnamese called them Mai Bai Wap Wap. That's, that's Vietnamese for chopper oh my, really my buy wop wop well what, where's a wop wop well that's that wop wop sound that you get from that he's yeah. not being racist Mario. no yeah, he's not. <laughs> that's actually what they said you know they say, I, I didn't say nothing yeah. I, no no i i know that look on your face though like it's, it's, i thought it was funny though oh. i just think it's cool i yeah. i'm actually i'm kind of a history buff so i, I you know i make a face it's kind of like i'm like intrigued by a lot of the stuff so 
by the way, you notice how uh, the Intel officer somehow switched it around, so now we're talking about all this other stuff. And when you asked him about some of the stuff he did, well, this and was, so it's, I just it's went away. Roller, but he totally <laughs> Jedi mind tricked us. Okay, okay. I'll give a thirty second. Uh, yeah, just just to, for the sake of getting people your background, you know, just yeah. we don't need to go into you know in depth operations sure. and stuff. Sure. I know there's some, a bunch of things you want to talk about, but just kind of so that way we know the perspective. Okay. Well, let, let me go back to April twelfth, sixty eight. I was drafted. Uh, went to uh, basic infantry training. And then half of the people that graduated got on a truck and went to other places. And the other half of us, they just said, you guys get on this truck. You're going. I was at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. You're like said, Jackson. Yeah. You know, the, the land of sand and grass. And what, were something doing, else. what were you doing there? He was at, uh, I just told you, infantry training. Yeah, but that, is that where they did? I thought it was, uh, or just, um, I thought it was at Bragg. This is in the 60s, Mario. Oh. Things have changed yeah, since then. Yeah, probably. Jackson, they were, yeah, Jackson, we were doing that. Yeah, because now when he says relax in Jackson, that's where all the, the, the admin go. go. Ladies, the females, oh, the, the admin go and all that. I so didn't see why. one admin in 1968. Well, sure. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, my, my dad went to basic at Fort Bliss. Oh, well, you know what? Yeah. Actually, back they were then, all over. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, they probably had so many infantry. Like every base was an infantry Fort base. Fort Dix. Yeah. A lot of my buddy went to Fort Dix on oh, the yeah? West Coast. In Jersey. In Washington, state of Washington. Lewis? Fort I thought Lewis it was, uh, no, no. Yeah, Fort Lewis is Fort Washington. Lewis, yeah. Uh, Dix is in Jersey, I believe. Uh, Fort yes, Dix, right. Yeah. 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 yeah, they were so training. All those, yeah. You know, I, I forgot to tell you that by the, when I was drafted, they were drafting 40,000 people per month. Jeez. 40,000. That's a small town. Every month. Yeah. You know, you, you had to get, you had to get that quota. So, at any rate, so uh, so I went down to Fort Jackson for eight eight nine weeks of basic. Yeah. And then I got on a truck and went on the other side of Fort Jackson for advanced infantry training. That was kind of a disappointment. I thought we we're going to get out of Fort Jackson, but no. Uh, by the way, when this happens, you know, you you don't ask questions. You just get on the bus, right. truck, and you go. <laughs> you just go. So I went. So then, uh, but I had uh, three days into when I was first drafted, I took a series of tests, and we always sat down and, and they, they took this test, you know, it lasted for maybe 20, 30 minutes. And then they called out names and those guys left and now the rest of us took another test. And then they called out names after that and there were a few of us left and they said, you guys qualify for OCS. Oh, that's cool. I said, what is that? <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't know what I yes, Did yeah. you have your, your college degree already since you were going no, to Ohio State? No, I had two years at Ohio State, yeah, no. So, okay, so you still didn't have it. No, I didn't have it. So I didn't know what it was. and. Uh, and by the way, when I took that test, I thought you could tell that they were looking for a certain kind of person. Like they say, would you rather go out and uh, not do war games, but uh, do, uh, you know, physical hard work, or would you rather stay inside and read a library book? Yeah. Well, I said library book. <laughs> you know, I thought maybe I'm going to be a librarian for the Army. I don't know. In the, in the, in the war library. In the yeah. war, yeah. So at any rate, so I did pass, and they said, Joke's okay. on you. They said, it's officer's candidate school. If you go, you you're, you're RA, yeah. and you become voluntary indefinite. I said, what's that mean? He said, well, that means that we, the Army, will tell you when you can go. We can hold you for five years. We can hold you for two years. But, you know, we tell you when you can leave the Army. Right. But I thought, I better grab this. They said, uh, they said, you have an hour to decide. I called my mom. So I'm, I'm in Fort Jackson. I said, Mom, what should I do? She yeah. says, oh. <laughs> it's one of, oh, is that you? I well, thought that's it was my, one. yes. Oh, that's that's from right. Midnight Cowboy. I, what, that's awesome. Yeah, I was about to say. That's like, his phone going up. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. 
a little bit of background music. I even, I even love that. This is the part where the story was getting dramatic, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. the music kicked on right away. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's my wife's phone. Oh, that's her. Right. Yeah, right. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Hello, Betsy. Yeah, hello, Betsy. <laughs> I swear he's behaving. <laughs> so at any rate, uh, so she said, my mom said, uh, do what you need to do. I thought, okay. Geez, thanks, Mom. It cost me a quarter, and this is what you're telling me. So anyway, I said, <laughs> I said, yes, I'll do it. Now, that was early in uh, basic training. Now I go to advanced infantry. I still haven't heard a word about uh, OCS. I don't know. Yeah. And now it's 30 days from the day we're advanced. We're 11 Bravo. That's what we were. Yeah. 11 Bang Bang. 11 Bang Bang. So uh, I'm still wondering whether I'm going. They, nobody tells me whether I'm going after advanced infantry. But we were getting malaria pills. That day we were all lined up alphabetically to get malaria pills. So when I went up to, to, to the desk and get my malaria pills, the guy said, uh, Pollard, he said, uh, you don't get any. I said, what's that mean? He said, it means you get no malaria pills. <laughs> I said, okay, typical answer, army answer to it. Right. And what I, what I realized then was, wait a minute, you have to take these 30 days prior to going overseas. Evidently, I'm not going overseas yet. And as it was then, I found out I went to, was going to officers, uh, oh, engineer yes. officers candidate school in Fort Belvoir. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So six months at Fort Belvoir, uh, that was tough, to be honest with you. OCS was very tough. Yeah. They needed junior grade officers, by the way, but they didn't make it an easy to become one. But uh, at any rate, uh, so then I graduated, and at the day I graduated, they said, okay, your MOS is now going to be triple six, nine triple six. Of course, I asked the obvious questions, what's that? It's nine triple six. Nine triple six. Yeah. Did you get it right? Yeah. 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 I thought I was hoping for all nines. No, right. you know, 10 being the best. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, he said, nine triple six. So he said, that's counterintelligence officer. And I had no training yet. I had yeah. no engineer. He said, well, you're going to get trained, but you're going to go out the door as a, as a triple six officer. And uh, so I went to Fort, they sent me to Fort uh, Holabird, Maryland, which was the counterintelligence school. Right. It, it moved to uh, Fort Huachuca. Fort Huachuca. 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 Yeah. But at that time, that was a, that was in Baltimore. It was oh, that's pretty town, cool. And they were sending everybody through there. But I was a permanent, I was permanent duty. I wasn't in school yet. They didn't send me to school. So I spent about a year and a half in Baltimore uh, as a little second lieutenant. In fact, I became first lieutenant there. And uh, I, I was a property book officer. Uh, every desk and chair and pencil had a number on it. And I was a guy who was responsible for all that. Now I've had all this training you know, to kill so and, almost and two advanced years. Yeah. training to, to build bridges in combat zones in OCS. And here I am That's counting cool. pencils uh, at Fort Belvoir. Abel over here is an your, engineer. Your OCS was an engineer OCS? Engineer OCS, combat engineers, yes. 12 Bravos? Yes. Stoppers yeah. lead the way. Yeah, Every, yeah. we're everywhere. A, Abe's a, Abe's an engineer, so he's like, oh, okay. He's kind of. I think he has a, a little. Uh, he's a little turned on right now. So. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not saying, not denying. Well, <laughs> we engineers have that. Yeah, yeah that, it's that, kind that of on each other. Yeah, yeah right. You know, yeah. I knew there's something about you. I like. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, that, that that's what happened. Yeah, you want to mute that we mic build real quick it. so we can have a moment. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I used to say, you know, we build it, you live in it. Yeah, yeah. So. At any rate, so then uh, after I started feeling comfortable that maybe, I mean, the war is going on, they're talking yeah. about peace talks, I'm sitting there in Baltimore, having a good time, making yeah. more money than I ever did. Yeah. You know, on permanent duty, I work 8 to 5, uh, Monday through Friday. Is it what, off. early, 22, yeah. maybe at this yeah, time? Yeah, 22, 23, I'm thinking, well. Got that officer pay, yeah. single. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and son of a gun, about the time you start to feel comfortable, 
boom, got my orders. Yeah. And the orders said, gave me a date of when I, when I was going to get a read now, but I was going to have 12 months of school prior to that. 12 months. 12 more months? So yes. So I, had, yes. <laughs> so I had a whole year of training, and I did get to NAM. I got to NAM in May of 71. But uh, that's kind of the story. I, a, I'm sorry. Interesting no, that's awesome. There. Yeah. I mean, like now, if you if you went to a young person, I guess, and said, look, you know, we would make you an officer, but you're going to get to go live in D.C. basically for the first two and a half, three years of your service, and then you may go to Iraq for a year. Like, I think a lot of kids would say, I'd sign up. Yeah. You know? I, I can't tell you this. Hindsight is twenty twenty. As I got out of Nam, back into life, married, and have a kid, got a job, and I get, and finally Vietnam veterans start to be kind of recognized, you know? Right. Uh, because I really, we can talk about that, but I really put that way behind me. But when I realized that most, a lot of guys, 60 was, that was, a, that was the biggest, uh, that year was over 16,000. Pardon me, I have a hard time talking about 16,000 people died in Nam. 68 but at any rate in 69 70 that i wasn't i was an officer and i'm trained but i'm not doing anything i'm sitting in the state so uh the older i got and the order i get when i go see the wall in dc and these kinds of things uh, i realize that somebody else was standing in my shoes at times and maybe they're on the wall and that you know survivor's guilt can get a lot of people for a lot of reasons so uh, it's not as easy. I, I can laugh about it sitting there going out on Friday night strengthening all the time with my buddies. Yeah. But at the same time, we had a 500 and some thousand troops in Nam mm-hmm. at the at time. At that time, yeah. And it, and I could I could have been there in the summer of '68 with those other advanced infantry training guys with the 11 Bravo. Yeah. That was the worst job to have in Vietnam. 11 Bravo. Mm-hmm. There were over 14,000 names on the wall that are 11. Are 11 Bravo. Bravo. So yeah. that was that was no treat. So here I am, all these years later, I've had a good life, I'm very happy. But I do understand the price that's paid by other people who, who uh, didn't have the same route I had. So I, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I, first of all, what an amazing story, and I, I appreciate not only your experience, but the way you feel about it. But I would also, as, as someone who's just met you and knows very little about you and just talking to this guy over here i would say that from what i know of you and in the way that you're speaking and carry yourself now that you've actually done an amazing job of honoring that that you can tell like you're the type of person that recognizes that you did survive and that that is a gift and you lived your life to the fullest you know and i think that as as a veteran also who has transitioned and known people who have been hurt um, i was lucky enough not to know anybody personally that died but i we had people in our battalion that did die and um I've seen people that have struggled with it, you know, especially if it was their battle buddy that lost a leg or got hurt or, or had, you know, unfortunately died. And I would say that the common thread between the people who have struggled and the people who are the people who are successful is that they live their lives to the fullest. You know, I've when we transition out, we face with all different kinds of issues. Everybody faces different things. And personally, my thing was I felt like I needed a mission. I needed to find a mission which, you know, eventually led me to meet this guy and where we are today. But that's one thing that I kind of instill with my children and they don't really understand why I'm this way, but I'm always like, live every day. It's got, you have to have a purpose, you have to have a mission, you have to have drive, you can't wait. And I don't ever want to look at my 15 year old and go, look, I know people who are dead and lost their legs so that right. you could be happy. Yeah. You don't want to put that guilt on them. Yeah. Know? Cause it's like, it's yeah. not fair, right? But I just wanted to say you're doing a, I think that you've done a great job of honoring those people. And you know, as far as I'm concerned, 
the way this interview is going and hearing your, your story, this is, I think this is going to be one of the best ones we've done yet. Yeah, I, so I, many lessons that we're learning here, you know. I had a feeling like I, I knew, because I know you and I know, we haven't even gotten to, I think, the best part. This, I think, to us, it's interesting because oh, yeah. we're in the military, we've experienced that, and we like hearing other people's stories, right? Um, but, you know, before I go on with that, too, just to say is you did pay your dues. You know, you were uh, in Vietnam. You eventually got there. You know, you did a very important job and a very, I would say, a very tough job. You said yeah. four-man teams? Yeah, so, I mean. You weren't selling Girl Scout cookies. No, no. 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 But, so, you know, that's the thing also, though, and a lot of veterans struggle with this, and, they, and, and I'm going to be a little rough right now, but you need to get the fuck over it. If you didn't get deployed, if you weren't combat arms, if you were a, a pogue, you know what? <laughs> Still, you have nothing to be ashamed of. Right? Yeah. And there's nothing worse I hear to me is when I hear another veteran shame someone. Oh, you're just fucking S1. Shut up. Yeah. Well, well, I, was in a real, I was in a real unit, you know? As long as, as we're in that conversation there, uh, I've met uh, uh, veterans. I've met people who weren't veterans or veterans who didn't go over. They were veterans, better, Vietnam veteran era, uh -huh. but they, did, they weren't Vietnam vets. Right. And they'll say, gee, I wish I would have been there. And the first thing I say to them, or I would have gone, the first thing I say to them is, you know what? You don't have to wish that. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah. You know, that's that's not. Uh, don't measure your your life or the success of your life as to whether you went to Vietnam or not. And in yeah. your case, whether Iraq. you went to Iraq or yeah. Afghanistan, yeah. you know that's not the measure. I think the measure is how you lived your life, and how and how did you support the troops if you were here, if you were there? How did how did you help the family? What did you do? Yeah. And that's or how did you feel about mm -hmm. that? Because. Uh, it's as I when you raise your right hand when you're in, you're saying you put me where you need me, and right. and so right. if you wound yeah. up in Hawaii and I was in Mian District, Kim Phong Province, yeah, you know, getting mailed every four days or so, hoping. Uh, don't don't feel bad about. It. I could have ended up in Hawaii. I mean, that's yeah, the way this right, works. Right. I mean, so, you you ended up in 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 uh, Baltimore for a few years exactly and all at the right. beginning so but that also I think made you who you are and the things that you did and maybe that's what prepped you uh, you know uh, for that year for that tour you know maybe yeah. you, you needed that training maybe that's I don't know I'm just saying like yeah. you know you, you never know yeah. uh, my buddy's uh, dad too was in uh, and you met him the guy in Sierra Vista the, the Sierra Vista slasher yeah the Sierra Vista slasher <laughs> we, uh, we played a prank on one of our co-workers and my buddy happened to be in town in Sierra Vista while we were in, and, and we pretended that there was a serial killer going around town, and uh, she didn't know who this guy was, and so we were joking, and he came up to us and uh, started talking to us, and he's got long hair and a weird beard, so, yeah, he, so he, yeah, so it was a kind of a, a funny little joke, but anyways, he's a he's a, one of my best friends from elementary school. His father was a Vietnam era veteran, and but he was in Germany the whole time, and so I never knew this, obviously, growing up, you know? Um, that maybe he was dealing with some inner guilt. Mm -hmm. Now, the, with the job that I do now and the things that I, that I do and, and how I, you know, just talk to a lot of veterans and help veterans, um, I kind of think that maybe he was dealing with some of that because he was uh, he would drink. Now he kept his job. He had a great job and he had his responsibilities, but um, he pretty much uh, drank himself uh, to, to death. I think because he that's all he ever did. Once he retired, it just got even worse, you know. And um, I, when I think about it, I'm like, I wonder if he was dealing with any of that. Because he wouldn't talk about his service. He would just say, yeah, I was in the military. You know, and one time he said, yeah, I was in Germany though the whole time, right? Um, so I feel bad because I didn't know the things I know now back then. You know, so I couldn't talk to him about it or say anything. But I, when I think about it, I wonder if he was going through that, you know, just because he was in Germany the whole time and just never, you know, saw so a thing about talking about, about it, about yeah. service. Uh, 
obviously Vietnam was viewed by the public in, and by many people in a negative way. So uh, by the time 68, 1968 came, uh, and it was the Tet Offensive, which really was a loss for the enemy, but psychologically it was a win for the enemy. Right. Because prior to that, many people in the United States thought that we were winning, so to speak, of Vietnam. Yeah. But then that showed, showed the vulnerability that we had. Uh, it was uh, the news media, of course, right. played it up. But the fact of the matter is, uh, and the draft started taking effect. I can't, I, I can't tell you how many people you can say you would sit on your in your on your street, and you could say, "Yeah, that guy across the street, he's in the service." There's a guy three doors down. He was killed in Vietnam. You could just it was affecting so many everybody. Forty thousand a month. So uh, so with the war not having uh, being that popular, and so many people being affected. That uh, the population is beginning to not care for the war in Vietnam. Right now, how did that translate to get soldiers? Well, not well in Vietnam. When yeah. you came back from Vietnam, uh, you weren't. Some people were welcomed back, but many people weren't. Not everybody did somebody spit on them, but there was a lot of there was a lot of problems there in terms of you welcome back. Right. I will tell you this, I was on the plane coming, the Freedom Bird, did you guys call the bird, the plane coming back to Freedom Bird in Vietnam? Right, that's, right. That's what we called it, the airplane. Because they have that now where they do these uh, Freedom uh, Bird flights too, right, where they take people yeah. to Washington? Yeah, right. right. So we're, uh, I'm, we're flying, I'm in a plane with a bunch of guys uh, in uniform and we're flying out of Saigon. We're going home. You know, you dream about this day. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so when the wheels went up, people jump up and down. We were all so happy. So we, uh, we flew to Guam and refueled, and then we flew to Hawaii and refueled, and now we're flying to San Francisco. So at any rate, uh, we were about an hour out. It was uh, fairly dark. The plane was kind of quiet. Yeah. But the pilot came on, and he said, okay, you guys, you're, uh, we're about an hour out from Travis Air Force Base. And he said, so what I advise you is that uh, change into your uh, uh, civic Oh, yeah, so that people because don't the, recognize it. Because the, protest, that, yeah. the protesters yeah. are at the gate. See, that sucks. That's, that's, a, that's a shame, right? Because yeah. nowadays, and I don't know if you've seen this, but they... they yeah, fire they, hoses and 12 packs of beer. And yeah, like cigarette. A, there was a cigarette lady. The USO, yeah. She was known as a cigarette lady who would uh, hang out by the airport, yep. especially, I think it was in Dallas, because that was one of the main hubs. That's, that's where I landed in Dallas, yeah. and she and, gave me and she, a I, pack of smokes and yeah. a 12 pack of Coors Light. Yeah, she wow. was known as the cigarette yeah. lady. She'd go Did around. You smoke? No, I okay. gave it to my boy, but she, I drank yeah, all she, those she, beers. <laughs> 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 Thank goodness. She would give everybody cigarettes, and there was people with cell phones that gave you want to call home, you want to call home, here you go. You can use this cell phone to call home, just, I mean, lend it to you, not give you the phone, but still. And, and just lines and rows of people doing that, which, and you know who the, uh, some of the people that were there, uh, probably most of them were Vietnam era veterans. Yeah, that's, because, see that, that's really, the legacy of a Vietnam vet is not the fact that we were in a war that was not liked and we were welcome home. The legacy has to do with what are we trying to pass to the next yep. generation. Yeah, In fact, the Vietnam Veterans of America, that's the organization, organization I'm with, our motto is never will one generation of veterans uh, abandon another. Yeah. And yeah. that's exactly right. And then, as we've said, so we're in our 60s, 70s, 80s. Many of us have passed on. But what we want to make sure is that your generation, that you also take up, take the mantle, and, and that you do the same. Thing. Yeah, for the next one. Because, yeah. you know, it's easy, it's easy to forget about what veterans do. In fact, I would say right now, 
because one half of one percent of those people in the United States serve. What that means is that uh, a lot of people don't know that we have military guys. Look how many, there'll be a death of a military uh, uh, special forces in Africa. Right. Say, well, what knows. are we doing there? Yeah. Well, we're everywhere. Yeah. People have no idea. They're like, what? Africa? Exactly. Was he on vacation? You know, yeah. and, and, and the military is in dangerous places, yeah. doing dangerous things, and the public needs to know that. Yeah. And in fact, I think that that's, uh, we'll get into it later, I am with uh, uh, Welcome, Welcome Home Veterans Park. Yes. We do have ceremonies for those people to come back, and one of the things we try to stress is the fact that there are military guys, men and women, who are out there doing things that are difficult, and we as a public need to realize that, and we need to appreciate that. And when yeah, they come back, we need to say, thank you for your service, and can I help you? Right. What can yeah. I do? So with that being said, when you transitioned out of the military, um, what did you do that made you successful uh, with that with the transition, you know, reintegrating back into civilian life? Well, here's, here's what I did. I put my uniform in a box. Yeah. I put the box in the closet. I closed the closet door, and I forgot about it. Now you may say, my gosh, aren't you a patriotic guy? Yeah, yeah I am a patriotic guy. But at that time, you, uh, as a veteran, you were not, uh, it was it was not a good feeling what you right. were receiving back from the public. Right. I mean, I, I when I was in uniform, I remember getting on a, on a bus one time and uh, sat down by a few people and they got up to sit someplace else. I mean, that, you know, yeah. if you were a veteran, they, yeah. and then if you, if you were, what, what I went to Capital University. Here's what I here's how I transitioned. I realized that with two years of college yeah. and four years of the military that I, I would not have a job other than selling insurance or something like that. I mean I I, I needed a I needed a real job. So yeah. I went back to school. Yeah. To Capital University. And uh, I thought, well what can I do? I mean what uh, and I actually I also met Betsy, my wife, on a blind date in September, six months after I got back there. Now. Oh, so she changed awesome. my whole life there. So, but what's so interesting that, is that, that there's that family member that, that helps to transition as well, we talk about, yeah. What Betsy and I didn't do was we didn't talk about Vietnam. Yeah. We didn't, I didn't talk about Vietnam until, oh, I'll tell you, we won a, uh, the Gulf War in 1990. Yeah. There was a parade in downtown Phoenix. Yeah. That was a short war, but we won the war. Yeah, 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 Okay, I went down there, Betsy and I and my son, who was about nine, and uh, people were happy about military units going by. Yeah. Now, I'm a Vietnam vet, right? I mean, we had no parades. We had anybody walking by, people applauding. But at the very end of that parade, some impromptu, some Vietnam vets got in formation, so to speak, and walked down the street. Guess what I saw? People applauding, applauding Vietnam them. vets. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah. I was so thrilled. I didn't get it. I'm not, I wouldn't. I didn't feel comfortable getting in the, going down yeah. the street and have people applaud me, but I was so happy to applaud them. Yeah, it was wonderful. Just a different feeling. So the transition for me was when people started to recognize that Vietnam vets were worthy of a thank you, and that all those movies that were stereotyped about Vietnam vets being uh, into drugs and and out of their minds and all this kind of stuff. That, that 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 was what it was a stereotype that there were Vietnam vets that needed help. Yeah, but you, it was hard to get help then. It was right, hard, right. Know, it was very hard. But at any rate, so my transition lasted years because I didn't talk about it. Yeah, I didn't say anything. Did I have feelings about it? Yes, but I didn't say anything. Like many, I'm not, many many people. Many yeah. many Vietnam vets felt that way. That's why today, you know, when when I see you guys, 
my first thought is that what we need to do is to say thank you, but then say, do you want a cup of coffee? Now, if you say, no, I don't, that's fine. But I guess my point is that, you know, if you, uh, I, I've been in there, I know what it's like. So, uh, you know, I, I, I would be an ear to be able to yeah. talk about it. To kind of build that, that camaraderie again. We talk about that sometimes too, that, you know, or a lot actually, that it's not always about post-traumatic stress or, or, or physical injury. Sometimes it is about missing those folks and, and missing the people that you are surrounded by because, uh, like you said earlier, it's a very small percentage of us that are that are veterans now. Right. So you're kind of out there alone sometimes. Right. You know, yeah. you, you have no one to talk to. So even though you don't, you might not want to talk about it, but you meet the right person. Uh, maybe with you, you know, hey, yeah, maybe we can talk a little bit. Yeah. Maybe I trust this guy. Yeah. You know, so yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So when you came out, you worked for the Treasury Department for over 20 years, right? Yeah. I, well, well I, actually, I taught high school. Uh, oh, you taught high school. I had a degree in sociology and uh, education. Yeah. And so I'm a 25 year old Vietnam vet teacher. Uh, <laughs> and uh, what had happened was I student taught with a guy who was, I was an older person. I mean, most of the college, I was four years older than yeah, the average college. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when I student taught, you had to do that to get your degree your last semester. I student taught in Upper Arlington, Ohio, with a guy whose name was Bill Radcliffe. Bill, if you're anywhere around, I he's he went, what happened was I, I uh, student taught with him, sociology, and then I didn't have a job for about a year. I did, I did, I got jobs. I mean, yeah. part time. Vets are never married, so we got to pay the rent. But I didn't have a real job. Anyway, he gave me a call. He said, Roger, I finally, he was trying to get with the FBI. So he finally got his call to go with the FBI. Oh, yeah. And I, and so we went to the principal's office who he had worked for for a few years and who I knew because I had soon got there. And Bill said, uh, he said, I'm leaving and Roger wants the job. Yeah. And the guy, and he knew me, right? The principal yeah. knew me. So he said, okay. So I got a job. At Upper Arlington. So you just kind of traded places. Yes. <laughs> What's interesting is that so Bill goes to the FBI two years later after trying to get with the Treasury Department. It took a long time to, to uh, finally get the job because it, uh, I was in Ohio. I was trying to get to Arizona. Very difficult to get the job. But at any rate, so uh, uh, two years later, I go to that same principal and I say, uh, I'm leaving for a federal law enforcement job. Yeah. And he said to me, What's with you guys? Radcliffe goes with the FBI. You're you go going to the yeah with Trace right? He said, "I said I don't know. I, I guess the job just breeds that kind of a yeah now, desire to be law." Now, when you got in there, did you do uh, desk work? Did you go looking at people's paperwork, or what? What, what kind of stuff did you do at, with the <laughs> with the Treasury Department? Yeah, I was on a task force. Were you a nerdy guy just looking at papers? Yeah, I, I was no? a very nerdy guy, and, <laughs> uh, and I you know it's, yeah, I was that typical uh, you were stereotype the, guy. A task force doing yeah. Actually, uh, actually, I was uh, I was on yeah. a ta I was on a task force. Uh, I worked uh, drug cases, uh, organized crime, money laundering. You know, we did yeah, uh, yeah. raids and arrests, and I mean, it was no. I, yeah, I was at the desk a few times. Yeah, but, but, uh, it <laughs> but was, there was a lot of cool stuff. As, yeah, that's kind of what I was gonna uh, wanted to kind of get into a little bit, just to to see what what you would say, but. Um, yeah, it sounds interesting. You told me some of the stories and stuff like that. So uh, it's definitely a very interesting job. And yeah, of course, a lot of our veterans, I think that's what they look for. A lot of them go into law enforcement, you know, or FBI, things like that. So that's um, that's really cool. And then while you were doing that, too, you also were a personal trainer? Or I wasn't a trainer, but, people? well, what happened was the Treasury Department 
Uh, what you had to do was uh, you had to, every quarter, you had to go out on the track and run a mile and a half. You had to do push-up setups, uh, uh, take a blood test, uh, health-type things. Yeah. So they needed somebody to run the program. So they, they said, who wants to do that? Well, I, I always like to work out, so I put my hand up. And uh, I, I'm glad I did. By the way, I still had that case work. It wasn't like they said, oh, okay, well, all you have to do is organize uh, exercise right, groups yeah. or something. You know? But, but I, uh, I did get a chance to be able to go through the government's uh, version of a, of a physical fitness program yeah. that's in Dallas. And, uh, it, 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 I think what happened was after, Detroit, after my job, what I didn't want to do was more law enforcement. Right. I wanted to do something entirely different. Right. So that's why I chose to be to get into the personal. Training. Yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, that's what happened there. But uh, uh, you know, I, I would say this as far as uh, military people getting back into law enforcement. You know, it's kind of a quasi paramilitary type. You know, your ranks and your it's when you are going to get ready to uh, uh, be involved in a in a raid. You have to have an ops plan yeah. that's much like an ops plan you would have if you were doing some kind of a Hamlet security thing in Vietnam or whatever. I, it, it's similar in that regard. So there's, there is carryover between the two. Right, so I think, right. I think you're right. I think that's... that's that excitement's still there and it kind of helps you yeah. out. Um, so with um, with that, you said raids. Did you ever do, or is that uh, most of the job that you did with the Treasury Department, or was there a mixture of different things that you would do? Well, it was all it was all about criminal investigation. So you're trying to find evidence. Uh, if there is evidence, you're trying to find it. Yeah. Uh, to be able to substantiate uh, an indictment, which you which uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office would take care of the indictment. You have to come up with all the facts. You're ready for trial, and uh, so whatever that interviews, physical evidence, uh, surveillances, uh, raids, and uh, search warrants occur when the information. Uh, you can't get it through a, a, a civil or a, a normal uh, subpoena. It, uh, maybe the person uh, is involved in something illegal, illegal anyway, like drugs. We did a lot of drug cases. Oh, right, right, right. So, so now they're not going, you can't knock on the door and say, pardon me, but you can give me all of your <laughs> can you, uh, documents about what you do. Right, right. Yeah, so, I need to uh, look at your books real quick. Yeah, can, yeah can, give me a gander at your book, and then they give you a set of books yeah. that's not the real book. So You kind of have to go in there and take that stuff yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But... Uh, it, it was it was really enjoyable, and I, I think uh, I think I learned a few things about law enforcement. And that is that these people spend a lot of hours away from their house. Yeah, you know, you, you're not home every night, uh, and weekends yeah. aren't necessarily yeah. free uh, time. So there are a lot of dedicated people who are uh, involved in trying to enforce our, our laws. So Get I, it all, yeah. Take my hand off. So there's that other side as well. So a veteran law enforcement officer. There's a lot of um, those similar hats that you wore and things like that. So um, then when you retired, so you took that experience that you were the um, I don't know uh, lead um, you know PT expert, physical fitness expert, whatever the title was. I don't know. I know there's always extra duty in the military. I'm sure this was something like that, right? Uh, what did you, um, how did you decide to do uh, personal training on once you left the uh, Treasury well, Department? I, when I, I was in my 50s when I retired from the Treasury Department. And one thing I realized that I was changing, what I could do was change yeah. my ability to do uh, physical exercise like I did when I was 20. It's a whole lot different. Yeah. And so uh, I actually worked for Bally's for a while. Uh, but my, at that point, I thought there are people that are 50. And they don't want to get near a gym. 
Yeah. They, they're thinking, nah, it's for a 20 year old, not me, or it's a meat market, you know. Yeah. So they're like, nah, I, a meat I, market, yeah. he said. Yeah, so, that's you know, true. yeah, that's right. So, so you found a niche? I, yeah, with, I, with yeah the... because I thought uh, a lot of people who actually there was a lot of benefits to working out, there's so many benefits that I thought. Some people, they want to, but they don't quite know. Either they're not motivated enough or they don't know how to do it. Yeah. Well, that's what this, uh, I was certified with the American Council on Exercise, uh, ACE, and you uh, learn how to do that. Yeah. A lot of physiological type stuff. and Get people uh, motivated and all that. Get you, yeah, get, most of it's getting motivated. I mean, remember the drill sergeant in the yeah. morning? Yeah. That's, you know, <laughs> but uh, most of it has to do with that's you one explain, way. If you explain to somebody the benefits of physical exercise, and it's not really that tough. It's not. It's not tough. It doesn't have to be knock you out stuff. Right. It could just be, you know. Eventually, you increase your uh, activity, and you get better, and you get stronger, and you get healthier. So it's it's a good thing to do. Yeah, we'll have to do another show specifically with just uh, physical activity and bring you on again and talk about that. So um, I want to say thank you for coming on. Uh, Abe's got a, uh, you have a sergeant's time? It's like I prepping. do, I do. And so I think, um, if you want to hang out for that and see sure. what, what I, I, I would do. like your, your input on this because <laughs> I think it's something uh, very valuable for not only veterans and military members, but also civilians. This would be a good crossover sergeant's time. All right. Um, you actually might have some input on this too, Mario. Scary as that Let's see, I don't know. So, all right, well, let's, uh, let's get started real quick. Huh, looks like we got ourselves a genius here. What are you, some kind of rocket surgeon? Tasks, conditions, and standards. Your other left. We're going to go over FM 6-22. Hey, high speed. You're going to learn today. Sergeant's time. All right, so listen up. The information I'm going to give you today may actually save your life. It may help you avoid... Physical injury may even help you avoid a little time in the clink. So today we're going to talk about how to survive a beer brawl, a bar brawl, <laughs> how to get out of a bar fight intact without you know having to go see the county, you know, lock up or the county hospital, right? So I've got uh, a few tips written down here, and uh, we got our guest Roger here is going to throw in his input because I would tell you I would imagine, sir, that between your day, your your bar brawl and my bar brawl and my ear are probably completely different. And then the ones that the millennials are fighting now probably aren't bar brawls, they're probably Twitter spats, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think beer bottles are a lot thicker. Yeah, right. When, when they were recyclable oh, yeah. back then, right? They used to send them back to the plant yeah. and get refilled. Now yeah, they just, yeah, yeah. They no, just no plastic them. bottles, that's yeah, right. Yeah, no, no. Uh, there's no tall boys being thrown around back then. <laughs> you know? Um, back then, I would imagine the beer bottles moved a lot quicker because I'm assuming back then men still finished their beer, not like today. <laughs> Sipping Zimas, sorry. Either if you sip Zimas or you drink hard waters, like you like those Lacroix with alcohol, you know. I had a Zima the other day. I know you did. That's why I went right at you. you know, I have no Zimas in my house, by the way. <laughs> or uh, you want to drink a Moscow Mule? That's not yeah, really. That's I love not good Moscow for starting Mule. a bar fight. It's not good for starting that, a bar that, fight. Uh, that's a good way to get your ass kicked. That uh, what is it called? It's a uh, is it copper, right? The cup. Yeah, I mean, I mean copper. That's a good weapon. It's un-American. That's a good weapon. Maybe I should call Vladimir and let him know that you're a big fan of his communist drinks. I'm drinking the blood of the uh, Russian enemies. Is what it is. No, that's what it is. No, you're not. Anything with ginger and a mint leaf in it isn't manly. You almost deserve to get your ass kicked. All right, so let's go. Let's get into this. Yeah, step the one. Straw. Right. Avoid the situation. I know how it is. First of all, you military types, listen up. Even if you were like a level four combatives instructor, 
this is not the place or this is not the time. Ninety percent of the time, this situation self can be diffused with a little bit of quick thinking and maybe eating a little humble pie. A simple, hey, bro, my bad, or, you know, can I buy you a beer? I mean, you know, those are those are really quick, easy ways to avoid the whole situation. Like, again, remember, we're trying to stay out of jail, out of the hospital, and, you know, not get our ass beat, right? So that's the first one. Now, think of some things, right? And again, if you go to the hospital, how's that going to affect you? It might not just be, hey, I got hurt. You may not be able to go to work the next day. You may miss out on some type of income. And let's say your boss asks you, Mario, why, why did you miss work? Well, I was in the hospital. What happened? Oh, I got my cheekbone shattered. Well, I slipped down the stairs. You're going to have to lie to your boss, right? So are you going to They're going to say you slipped, and then they're going to give you that card for domestic family counseling. Yeah. And then <laughs> next thing you know, the, the police are going to show up at the door and lock up Crystal for beating you again, right? So you, you Again, got, notice how you said again. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's consequences. <laughs> or you may just lose your job because that may be you know your boss's way of saying, yeah, look, that's irresponsible. Yeah. You're getting drunk and beat up is not a legitimate excuse, right? You know, and here's a here's a one part that may this may if you do this right, this may be the hardest thing for you. This may be the only injury you suffer if you do this correctly. Maybe just to your pride, you may have to just say, "Hey, I'm sorry, I'm an asshole," which for me is it's heartbreaking. I was gonna I, say I I, st I struggle with that. In fact, I need a minute to just take a breath because I said those words right. <laughs> so that's step one: avoid. Right. The yeah. subsection of step one, part two or B or whatever, is run. Just fucking run. Discretion may be the better part of valor. That's you funny. You may be a track star. Your best bet may be to just haul ass out the door, jump in your car, and roll out. That's yeah. part. Of that that's another vote for being physically fit. Yeah, there right? you go. Roger so, over here can help well, him get that forty time down to four seconds. He's got those. He's got those first two. He's got the intel background. It's like yeah. knowing what to say, right? Saying the right things, and then the physical part is like, hey, if you got to run, you got to run. Yeah. Listen, you'll never see a gazelle stand up to uh, a lion. All right, he's fast, so he's going to use his speed. All right, he knows he's not stronger right. than the lion, so why not? If you know you're strong or you know you're faster, use your speed. Yeah, that's way. a perfect example. Use your military background, assess the threat, right? Do a quick threat <laughs> assessment, make right. a sit rep in your head, do some type of fucking thinking, but just avoid the fight. And if, and if all else fails, you know, just run. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's going to be a hard one for most people, though. Well, my age, I can't run, so unfortunately, I have a loud mouth, a bad attitude, and I'm and not you can't fit, run, so we're so. fighting. <laughs> but I got money for a lawyer, so I get some good, and I got good health insurance. So, all right. And Mario's my boss, so he'll understand if I'm late. So online. you're the wrong guy to be giving this. Well, I'm trying to help people. I'm trying to learn from my experience, right? I know. All right. So step two: seek help. Send your friend, go, I'm about to get my ass kicked, man. Go get security. Can you go get a bouncer? Oh, there you go. Right? Can you go tell the bartender, like, hey, man, this yeah. dude's about to start some shit with me? The and then too, wait till they get there, right. and then they're holding you back to you. Like, you're lucky, yeah. my friends here. Or, they're holding or me or back. Another way to so do you that still is, look good, right? You yeah. know, if, if you've already done your threat assessment, you already know where you're at, you surveyed your surroundings, and some you think some shit's going to pop off, just kind of casually walk over to the closest bouncer and wait for it to start. And then you've got, you've got your reinforcements <laughs> yeah. right there. Right? You, never, you never actually snitched. Yeah. You, you just, just stayed in your front of them. Yeah. And act yeah. like, man, if this bouncer wasn't here, you know, I'd kick your ass. So you could save a little face, right? All right, now this is the one. Well, this is where it's going to get tricky, right? Okay, this is where I'm going to probably lean on you guys. So according to Forbes magazine, step number three is, assume a defensive stance and they define a defensive stance as placing your hands above your head to protect your face and leaning forward into your attacker so, yeah i mean it, it, it i don't know what your definition of it 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 depends on on what you're trying to do but you're you're what you're doing is you're closing the distance so that their their punches don't affect you 
Uh, that's the only thing I can think of from from doing that. Because the further, if you're right at the, at the, or either, like you said, either run, so you're getting away from them so they can't hit you, or if you're close enough, their hits can't really hurt you because there's no leverage there, right? So that's the only reason so I can see doing that. You're closing the gap, or if you want to take them down or strike or whatever. So there's a lot of different reasons why you would do that. I happen to be blessed with no neck. Yeah, no one's choking you. Which, in, in, and by the way, it's not just about not, um, not being able to get choked out, but because I have no neck, so if you hit me, my neck's not going anywhere. My head's not going anywhere. So it's going to take a lot of hits, and it's just going to stay there like an idiot, right? Because I think my skull's a little bit thicker than most, so I could take a lot of hits as well, right? Because a lot of times what happens with when you get hit, right, in the jaw or even in the neck, is there's a, a little uh, twitch there where that there's a disconnect, right, whether it's in your neck or the jaw, and so that's where you black out. That's how people get knocked out, right? So because I have no neck and there's no possible way for me to have that little twitch, I'm just going to sit there and take like 10 hits, and I'm like, hey... What are you doing that for? That's that's what happens to I've me. I've actually seen that. That's what happens to me. So three strikes uh, to the face, and finally he dawned on him on being attacked. Hey. You know, I, I realized from this conversation <laughs> that when I go to a bar this time, I bar I want Mario next to me. And and, uh, and I'm not even like saying that I can a, fight. That's a, that's a valid point. I yeah, just I'd rather him get hit than me. Yeah, I, I would say to the guy, look, I'm sorry, you can't hit me. I have a neck. Yeah. This guy beside me, go ahead. It's let's not see. Mario does the fight, and I'm just here for the drinking. Right. And I'm more, and I'm not even doing the fighting. I'm just getting hit and I'm like protecting people, like by standing in front of them. This um, is a human shield. By the time I realize I'm getting hit, the bouncer will probably be there already. I, so. I think you do all right, not just because the neck, but you got a lot of extra padding around the waist. Yeah, to that's your true. That, that's what it's there for. That's what it's Next. there for to protect my my uh, my organs, like you said. So my defensive <laughs> position may be a little bit different. Yeah. Because me, I'm busting that beer bottle and I'm getting it right up there. And you're going, I'm yeah. I'm getting a beer bottle right up there in front. Let everybody know that I've got a beer bottle and I'm not afraid to use you're, it. You're, you're using the – you're kind of peacocking a little. Exactly. You know, I'm like, showing up, right? It's, it's a defensive posture. It's a demonstration of force, if you will. You're exactly. not really going to stab It's anyone, a metaphor. Though, I mean, we don't – we neither uh, – we don't well, condone. Well, the bottle, more like a slicing. <laughs> so like that's slice. the other thing I was going to say. When you get close, like they said, that's the other danger, though, is you don't know what people have on them, especially here in Arizona. A lot of people carry, uh, you know, uh, concealed weapons. Uh, knives or nunchucks. a gun or things like that. Nunchucks too. Yeah, I've seen a nunchuck or two that's in my usually, life. Usually, if I don't have a beer bottle, that's my go-to. <laughs> His go-to is a nunchuck. Yeah. Um, what else was I gonna say? So, oh, what you were talking about, real quick. I had a sensei back in. No, you didn't. Yes, From I did. Bernstein Karate in Central Phoenix. Bernstein's Karate. Bernstein. Yes. So these poor back Mexican the, kids would walk up and down the street in my neighborhood with these little flyers saying, "Keep the youth off the streets." And I always thought to myself, I was even one as of those a child, kids. like. How the hell are you keeping these kids off the street? You hear they're walking down the street with flyers talking to strangers trying to get people to sign up to for go to, to Bernstein's. Yeah, so uh, he they lied to you, Mario. He was a he was a yeah. No, yeah. I get it. Show me on the doll. No, listen. Another, there's another <laughs> another uh, podcast for that. Uh, we'll get into it because uh, Is that that support group you keep trying to dude, get me to go to. Dude, that guy was crazy. He was a, a marine. I believe he was a <laughs> Vietnam era marine Strike too. One and two. And he was Kempo. That's what he used to teach. His name uh, was not Kempo. It was John no, Bernstein. He, he, yeah. I think it was John, actually. It was. So, uh, I'm telling you, I lived around the corner from that dojo, and I've thrown eggs at that dojo. That's so weird that I he grew up there, and I ended up working there. When I first moved here to Arizona, when I first moved, and this is a real place, Roger, when I first moved here to Arizona in my early 20s, they advertised in the newspaper, like, hey, come learn karate and then teach it. So I was looking for a job, so I found a job uh, waiting tables during the day mm -hmm. at Makayo's, and then I would go there during the night, learn karate, and then I would teach little kids. But you wouldn't get paid. What happened was that they paid you by teaching you. 
So you would train the kids, that's but then they would train you. Labor. So I was like, well, that's cool. At least I get to learn how to do this. Anyways, he told us a story once, kind of like you were about, about the this fighting. punk-ass little Italian kid that was training with this Asian dude and starting shit with the star pupil. Is that what we're going to go down No. Really? You, you're talking about you the karate kid tournament? now. Now you're talking about the karate kid. <laughs> but it was. They were Cobra Kai, though. They, they were, were kind of like Cobra Kai. Kai. They were the Jewish They were the bad guys. Kai. They were the bad guys. So he told a story where he, he almost got in a fight once, and he would tell the same things, like, always try to uh, back out of a fight if you can, right? So he was in the back alley with some dude, and he started punching himself. What were they doing in the alley, though? Well, they went back was in there, the day. You wouldn't fight inside. Oh, you would go I thought up. maybe was, they met in there for no, there was another a, purpose. No, there was an, there was an there was honor thing. Of, there was some type of Back in the day, there was an honor thing. You would go outside. The phrase, you want to step outside. You want to step outside, oh, so and they literally stepped outside into era. an alley. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he said that the dude was way bigger than him, and he kind of knew that. And he's like, you know what? I was a little drunk, even though uh, oh. I, even though I um, Since knew, even sake. though I knew Kempo and I knew this. He goes, one, he goes, I could either get beat up or I could get in a lot of trouble by killing this man because this guy was pretty intense. So he really believed that he would kill somebody. So he said he started punching himself in the face. And the guy thought he was Funny, nuts. That's not on my the list. The guy thought he was nuts. He started hitting himself in the face, and the guy's like, "You know what? Never mind, dude." You're like, I would I not mess with that. I don't want to mess with yeah. you. So that was the end. So it's kind of like Great your story, your uh, beer bottle story. Yeah. Dude. Well, I wasn't gonna slice myself, right? I know, so and he wasn't gonna. That brings yeah. me to the next step in survival guide, right? After we've assumed a defensive stance, perhaps displayed our beer bottle and ready to strike, you have to act decisively. Yes. So if you've made up your mind that it's go time. There's no messing around at this point, right? So you need to go. If you've decided in your mind, okay, I can't run away. I can't talk this down. The bouncers are not coming to save me. I got my beer bottle. I broke it and it just broke and cut my own hand. You need to go. <laughs> so at that point, you need to make some type of internal decision, make some quick, um, just determine your course of action, right? Whatever that is. And like you kind of alluded to earlier about the gazelle, I would utilize something that is an advantage to me. So like you, no neck, you're going to get in close and get punched in the face, right? Yeah, I'll let them get tired. <laughs> right? But there's a few different things you can do when it starts, right? So first of all, my go-to, no beer bottle, no nunchucks, Vulcan death grip. I'm going straight Vulcan death grip, and I'm dropping the dude to the floor. I don't know if that works, but yeah, you can well, try it. Does. it. Haven't you seen this? I mean, come on, Spock did it all the time. Oh, it's very it wouldn't be in Forbes magazine if it wasn't real, Mario. Okay. Okay, it's on the internet. I read this shit. Okay, it must so, be real. That, that makes it real. <laughs> But Vulcan death grip. The other thing that that leads to is to get your opponent to the ground, right? And by get to your opponent to the ground, it's a good it's a good strategy as long as you prevent yourself from going to the ground as well. So if you're gonna react quickly, you're gonna make a decisive move. A good way to, to defuse the situation, or at least give yourself a second to bounce, knock the dude down, sweep the leg, right? Sweep the leg. Sweep Johnny. Johnny got to sweep the leg, right? Okay. Another one is like you said, if you're gonna make an action, don't go to the ground. Avoid the ground at all costs. Ground bad things happen. Unless to you, right? you're a jiu-jitsu guy. Then well, that is your home. But in a bar, it's not a good place. Yeah, that's because true. you don't know what's on the floor. Yeah, I just broke I just broke a beer bottle yeah, that's true. and it's all glass. And other people get it, yeah. You're going to start getting kicked when it's French up. So it's not necessarily a great strategy. One-on-one on one the mat, go for it, right? <laughs> now, what you want to do, too, is you want to watch your back, right? So how do you do that when you're acting decisively, quickly, whatever? Well, remember in the first part where we were talking about running and we were talking about assessing the situation. If at all possible, make sure you put yourself in a corner or somewhere where it's you and the exit and you know no one's behind you, right? Because you want to make sure you don't get ambushed. And then the other thing you want to do if you act decisively, this also again goes back to run again. So if you decide you're going to act decisively and that means sprinting out the door, haul ass. Don't hesitate. Let this dude do whatever he's got to do and you bounce, right? Or girl. 
Girls. girls get tough these days. Yeah. yeah. You get a wrong bar, a woman will beat the shit out of you nowadays. Yeah. They do they do CrossFit, bro. Yeah. <laughs> they do CrossFit. They're tough. Um, and the other thing too, when it, we're acting decisively, right? Be prepared for the consequences, okay? So if you're gonna act, know that you might get your ass handed to you. So if you start swinging, you just keep swinging, and you don't stop until everybody's done or you're done. But one way or another, you have to make up your mind. You have to get your mind wrapped around the fact that you may get you may get the shit beat out of you. And Fight you, or flight. Yep. There you go. <laughs> All right. So now there's the one more thing I want to go over about surviving a bar fight. Okay. Tell you maybe make a decision. Most bar fights are going to end pretty fucking. They're going to end pretty quick. Just like the schoolyard, when you went yeah. out there and you were going to throw down with a bully, you knew there was that recess teacher on duty. And you, you know, you, if you kind of weighed and measured your options, you take your chance of your gambling man, you knew you, okay, I'm going to at least land one, right? I'm going to be the aggressor. I'm going to nail this dude at least <laughs> once. I may take two or three, maybe 30 seconds tops, and then they're going to break this up, right? It's a bar is very similar because despite the atmosphere, um, unless we're drinking like in a biker bar or at the VFW, people are just going to go, let him take his ass whooping, you know? Yeah. Most people are going to step in and put yeah. an end to it because people don't like conflict. So just know that, right? It may be short-lived. And if you're okay with it, just go. Just get your shit taken care of, and uh, God bless you. We'll see you on the other side. Yeah, and I encourage you all to go out there and test your skills tonight. Go pick a fight with somebody. And, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just, yeah, not if you were, I would suggest Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. If you want to test yourself, start at Starbucks start. and work your way up to, like, you know, the I, bar. I would say if you are going to... Jamba uh, Juice would be a good testing. Jamba Juice is a good <laughs> testing ground. Yeah. And if you're really hurt, uh, hurting, you could go to a, a Wendy's or... Something, something rather calm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go to Wendy's, start Plus, you, a fight. You, you know you the people just, there are going to be out of shape too. Yeah. You can lick your wounds and heal them with some good nuggets. Yeah. Maybe a frosty to put the swelling down on your lip. I'll buy you a frosty, bro. Let's go. Yeah. Good Throw fight. it out. Yeah. So, what about you? What, is, what do you think about my plan? Is it, is it a good plan? Am I, I setting I, you up for failure? I need to see you later so I can get a copy of, uh, of the notes I should have been taking while you were saying this. Uh, we'll put this up on yeah, online. We'll put this up. Yeah. I, I would say this. Uh, you know, it's been a long time since I've been in a bar fight. I mean, uh, hey, I'm 70 years old. Now, what am I going to do here? Who am I hanging around with? Uh, but at any rate, There's but I do. I do. There's enough people you would still take on. So that, uh, <laughs> that a, a lot of times, uh, some of it depends on where you are. If you're in a bad mood, if I'm in a bad mood, I mean, I'm just not happy, and I go into a bar and I have an attitude. Uh, it could be that I'm asking for it myself. Yeah. I mean, that's never happened. Was, so yeah. that's never right, happened right, with you know, me. I've yeah, never done that. Yeah. And then another thing is, where am I going? What do I know about this place? Is it a rough place? You know, if I if I walk in there and I sense that, mm-hmm. yeah, this doesn't seem right. Probably what I sense is what I now I need to turn around right. and walk out. So Before now, even little situational yeah. awareness. Now, yeah. That's, now mental, if I'm with four or five buddies. Uh, we're squat. We're going squad deep. We're going wherever we want. That's right. That's it. But if I'm walking it by myself, so yeah. Yeah. But uh, I appreciate your yeah. your uh, info there. And uh, well, I'm here next to time I walk into a bar in what area of town should I not be in? But anyway, well, Gilbert, you're safe. Gilbert, yeah. you're pretty yeah, much safe. Gilbert, you're safe. But you know, we've all been there where your vital boy looks at you and goes, "Where are you going, Abe? I'm going to pick a fight." 
Was that your Irish buddy? <laughs> that was that was my Irish buddy. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't usually bring your own whiskey to the bar. Well, yeah, that's true. That yeah. that could be a, that could be an issue. Abe's uh, father was Irish, and he had a little bit of a accent. Only right? when he was drunk, though, which was all the time. And so he's actually picked up on it <laughs> really father, good. He was from County Cork, Ireland, um, and his and my grandfather was from County Cork, and he joined the army during World War II to get his citizenship. So after the war, he got stationed over here um, at Fort Belvoir, I believe, and then. They all moved over here, but they had already been born in Ireland, so they all had heavy accents. But my dad was one of the younger kids, so he kind of lost it. But then, as he got older, if he was inebriated or had a few too many pops, it would come back with a vengeance. And so, I spent a lot of time as a kid listening to my dad, and then as a teenager, imitating him to tease him, you know. And and it's funny because Mario will laugh at me because I just sometimes will slip into it without even like a few. There's a few words he'll say, and I'm like, that's a little. That's funny because it's a little. Little Irish rogue there. <laughs> well, there's a little Irish in all of us, but with you, definitely. <laughs> well, that's what I say. So I'm actually my that was my stepdad, right? So my my mother is Sicilian and Mexican, and my dad, my biological father, is Mexican. But I tell everybody I was raised Irish. But you grew up with them, yeah. I, since I you mean, were a baby, that right? was the only dad I ever knew. I, like like you said, I was like maybe a year and a half old when we, which my mom married him. Yeah. So it's the only I I never I never really call him a stepdad, you know. And, yeah, that's was always it's my dad, you know. So like, I always tell everybody culturally, I'm Irish because of him. I mean, yeah. Corn, which is funny because we have, you know, we always had corned beef and cabbage and everything. Yeah. But because my mom was Mexican, you St. Patty's Day or usually like once a month she'd make it for him. But then you'd have leftovers, so it was like corned beef one day. The next day was corned beef tacos. That's <laughs> funny. That's good. So we always had something. You know? And mustard. Yeah, with mustard. We had, yeah, they had to have the mustard on there. Oh man! Well, that's but awesome. Anyway, I'm hungry now. I'm so hungry too. What do you say we head on over to Murphy's next door? Yeah, right. We'll have a couple, some corned beef and a couple Guinness, and see if we can test our new skills out. Yeah, right. During the day, we'll I'm, sure, each other. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So Roger will get drunk and start a fight. I'll You'll pick, get hit, and then yeah. I'll run. Yes. There you go. <laughs> there you go. We'll have our assignments. Yeah. All right. Oh, ready. Awesome. Break. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Roger, once again. Well, thank you uh, for asking. And you know what? I want to let's dedicate this show to uh, Ed. Uh, who uh, we Ed lost Rosser. two weeks ago, right? Uh, what was his last name? Ed Rosser, R-O-S-S-E-R. And did I meet him uh, when he, was he there at your birthday party? Yes, yeah. he was. He was one of the guys just laughing and joking around. Huh? Yes, he was. Um, Calling him kid, man. So yeah, yeah. So in fact, uh, uh, there was a Korean War vet there, and and he said to me, "I'm going to go over to the World War II vets and kid them about how old they are." Yeah, right. that's, that's, <laughs> now, that was funny. He was ninety. Yeah, they were yeah. ninety-five. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. The younger, yeah, the, the older guys. Yeah, and and uh, it's dedicated to uh, all our Vietnam era veterans as well because of all the stuff that you guys did for us and where we are now. So I want to thank you, Roger, Roger Pollard. Yeah, and you know what? Real quick, too, thank you, Betsy, for loaning us. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's right. While. I'm on loan for Betsy Pollard. Yeah. That's I right. want to hear that. We'll uh, get him back to again. Yeah. I promise, no bar fights. That's right. And so <laughs> for uh, Abe. Uh, Break a bottle in your face, McCann. It's more like nunchucks. <laughs> nunchucks, McCann. I'm Mario Aguirre, and we are out of here, guys. Thank you. See y'all later. Bye. Hey,